her strength, her humanity, and her guarded humour. How did she fight? She fought well. I hope someday to be able to look the public in the face as Louisa Lawson, not as the mother of a man. For somebody to please build a statue. Louisa Lawson is a daughter of Mudgee who deserves to be celebrated. Hi, I'm Jess Scully and welcome to another episode of More Than a Mother. My love letter to Louisa Lawson, the mother of women's suffrage, the mother of Henry Lawson, but so much more than a mother. Louisa makes me so proud to know that a woman like her existed, that she walked this planet over a hundred years before I was even a twinkle in my dad's eye. A lady who passed away 11 years before my own grandmother was born. Another woman who I looked up to for very much the same reasons. People like Louisa and my nan make me proud to know that women like them existed. They worked hard, they fought for what was right, they raised their families, and they taught life lessons to the generations to follow. You feel proud to know that they existed, and you hope that they look down and are proud that you're doing what you can to live their legacy. On this episode, we are talking about legacy, history, and another figure from Mudgee who also hasn't really had their story told. Mudgee local artist and historian Michael Burke, in a recent exhibition, has immortalised the Mudgee Camel, a fellow by the name of Adolphus Taylor, who was alive around the same time as Louisa Lawson. And Michael Burke is one of those people that I have said to almost anyone who will listen to me, I'm so glad that somebody like him exists for his perspective on the world, on art and on history. He's also just a really good bloke. Let's launch into the interview, shall we? Local Mudgy artist and absolute legend Michael Burke joins me on the phone. And as far as historians go in the modern era, I particularly love the perspective and the approach that Michael takes to immortalising Mudgy history, immortalising figures in Mudgy history in his special way that he does. Thank you for joining me this morning, Michael. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jess. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast to talk about Louisa Lawson because you're a long-time lover of Louisa. I am indeed. I am. been a big fan. So what brought you to her story? How did you find out about her? Well, yeah, I suppose growing up I'd always heard of Henry Lawson, but when we moved out here, and I was teaching history at the time, and I remember looking specifically at feminists issues, you know, Australian feminism, and coming across quite a bit about her then, and teaching kids about it, and there were all sorts of cool things she'd done, you know, not just like the right to vote, you know, fighting for that, but there were strange things that were particularly sort of interesting for kids too, like she'd campaigned on sensible dress for women, you know, so it was a way of getting fashion into the whole thing, or, you know, looking at history from a different side. Yeah, for sure, and giving kids a different angle to be able to look at something yeah. that affects them. Yeah, definitely. Something real, because, you know, history, we think about it as big events and stuff that happens to other people, but everyone wears clothes, or should wear clothes at some point. It brings it back to that very basic level. A little bit of a side note, not much though. At the moment, you have an exhibition on display at the Rosby Gallery in Mudgee at Rosby Wines about another Mudgee historical figure that also hasn't really had their story told. Could you tell us a little bit about Adolphus Taylor? Yeah, so Adolphus Taylor's a really interesting fellow. 
famous people. He probably was famous for a brief while and sort of disappeared very quickly. But he was obviously a very different sort of person from the outset. Yeah, so he was born in Mudgee. They don't really know who his father was or it's hard to tell. They're not entirely sure who brought him up, whether it was his mother and her husband or someone else. But he went to school here in Mudgee and from a very early age, he was sort of a bit of a genius and ended up, you know, leaving school as you did at the time at about sort of 14 or 15 and then coming back and teaching at the school at about 17 or 18. And then, you know, he sort of did that for a while and then joined the infantry or the New South Wales Artillery for a brief while and got court-martialed for insubordination and uh, (laughs) spent a bit of time in jail, but then came back to Mudgee as a journalist and uh, worked at the Mudgee Independent and then entered politics and became the member for Mudgee for a while. Uh, developed a terrible drinking habit down in Sydney in Parliament, which I'm sure there were a lot of bad influences, but I think he was the worst influence of all. Is that why they and called him the Mudgy Camel? The Mudgy Camel, yeah. So there's a few... <laughs> I mean, the guy seemed to have a lot of nicknames, but, yeah, the, the, he was tall and gangly like a camel, but it was definitely the drinking problem <laughs> that uh, got him the nickname in the end, I think. Are you drawn to characters like this, the unsung heroes of history? Yeah, no, I definitely, like, I'm always interested in those sorts of things that are there but you don't know about. I remember as a little kid, you know, and I think all little kids are a bit like this. Skeletons are really interesting because it shows you what's underneath and dinosaurs are really interesting because they're such a big thing. Mm. but, like, you can't see them anymore, and they must have been here, but where are they now, sort of? So it's that aspect, things that that must have been significant once upon a time, and we've just completely forgotten about them. Yeah, I suppose that sort of history I find really interesting. I feel exactly the same way. I often find if I'm driving through little country towns and things like that, and I'm like, I'm spending at most five minutes in this town, but people know the arteries and the veins and they know the history. They know each and every person in this town. And I was like, I am just visiting this for a very small period of time, but every person has lived a life. Every person has a history. And I bet you if I sat down with any one of them, they would have a story that blows me away. Indeed, indeed. And there'd be mundane things that we all have in common that are strange in themselves. And then they'd just be utterly unbelievable things that have happened to everyone as well. I did really love in the exhibition, I'm not going to give anything away, but there is a really beautiful painting of Adolphus and Louisa in Together. Did they actually ever meet? Do you know of? I imagine they did. I couldn't find any record whatsoever of it. Adolphus would have been a politician in Mudgee while Louisa Lawson was very politically active at the time. Adolphus was also a working as a journalist in Mudgee, but also later then in Sydney when Louisa Lawson was running the dawn and was a journalist herself. And they did both spend time in Callan Park Psychiatric Hospital or Hospital for the the Insane, as it was known. So, look, I find it incredibly hard to believe that they didn't meet, particularly, too, you know, when you throw in Henry Lawson, too, you know, being such a prominent figure at the time with such a drinking problem as he had to, you know, it's almost inevitable 
that they brushed up against one another at some stage. They seem to have a lot of parallels, like as you said, both being journalists and politically active and obviously coming from Mudgee. I find it very interesting that he was the Mudgee camel because he obviously drank so much and Louisa was very much, that was not her cup of tea in any way. No, a cup of tea was her cup of tea, I'd say. I reckon so as well. What's the thing that I guess I'll ask you about both Adolphus and Louisa, what's the thing that's kind of surprised you about learning about their history? Yeah, look, I think with both of them, you know, because I'm I'm very visual, like I, I love reading, but, you know, pictures speak to me, you know, and as an artist, that's what you're trying to communicate. And the thing I found for me, it was turned out to be a real gift with the Adolphus Taylor was I went looking in all sorts of places for a photo of the man and I just could never find one. So in the end, I was sort of reduced to sort of painting him as a camel <laughs> everywhere. That was fun. And, you know. But the, a similar thing with Louisa Lawson, there seems to only be, I think, two photographs of Louisa. And... Um, you know, because they're from that era where photographs are rare, but also where if you sat for a photograph, you had to sit patient. It took longer than it takes for Aunt Dota to whip up a portrait, I think. They didn't smile in the photographs at all. You know, they had to hold a sort of <laughs> a pose, a facial pose that they could hold for, you know, however long it took to get the photo set. So Louisa always looked so cranky in those photos. And that sort of really piqued my interest in her in, a, in some extent because, you know, I'd, I'd read about her and, you know, she was such an incredible go-getter and such a, a font of ideas and energy. But, of course, she did spend most of her life surrounded by people who were just utterly disappointing and frustrating and stupid. And for me, that sort of expression on her face, you know, is always one of, oh, God, <laughs> surrounded by idiots. Whenever I paint her, I do try to sort of get that feeling in the painting that she's just being dragged around again. She's incredibly patient, but, you know, forced to be so. I mentioned, I've mentioned a few times, actually, one of my favourite paintings ever is your Louisa Lawson's Wasted Afternoon of her being dragged up to the school because Henry refused to shave off his moustache with a a child in primary school with a big, it's, it is beautiful. It is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in my life. And I guess I saw that expression in her face of like, she's just so done with that day, isn't she? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so when you came up with the idea of doing the brief history of Mudgy last year, did you decide from the get go that you wanted to do a painting of Louisa to include her in that one? Or did it just kind of come? Yeah, it just kind of came like I've often sort of played around with ideas with Louisa Lawson. But, yeah, I don't think I sort of had that in mind when I started painting the exhibition, but I was very happy when it came to me. I think there's potential to do a lot more with her too. I, I've got a few sort of ideas in my head over the years of her working at the post office here as well, you know, covered in stamps. But Because um, <laughs> she's one of the really interesting things about her in particular, but about most people who end up becoming famous for something, they have such a an ordinary life in other aspects too. <laughs> this woman who achieved such enormous social change, 
But at the same time, there she was working at the post office, dishing out stamps and, you know, <laughs> putting envelopes in bags. And she even designed that mailbag. Just things like that that I find intensely interesting about people. So they're always floating around my head, people like Louisa Lawson. And I think when you live somewhere and you know that those people have spent a lot of time around the place, that's really interesting too, I think. Sort of walk with me around town a bit. Yeah, they become part of the environment even if they're not physically here. Yeah. Last year, you did a bit of a walking tour around Mudgee to discover the hidden, I guess, beauty. Uh, Mudgee is gorgeous, but to see what's underneath. And it was a really great lesson in perspective of just if you stare at something long enough, ideas come. Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. I came on that one with you and we were walking through, like I guess I'm trying to say with her statue now being in Market Street, do you have any ideas that have popped out in relation to that? No, but I, it's funny because, you know, I was working across the road there in the art house teaching classes when the statue was first unveiled. And for the first three or four weeks, it was funny, every time I'd go to leave the shop and it'd be late at night, I'd be locking up and I'd look across the road and there was Louisa Lawson sitting outside the library, you know, and the street would be empty. So I'm loving the statue, but I kept thinking, oh, there she is again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know what will happen. It'll it'll certainly have an impact, yeah, on fire up people's imaginations in all sorts of ways, which I think is lovely. I've had a look a couple of times at the statue where it is, and, like, it's a gorgeous piece of art, which I'd really like to know what you thought of the, the sculpture when it came to life. Look, I'm loving it. It's fantastic. It's great fun. I've looked a couple of times and kind of out of the corner of my eye when I've seen her because I say hi to her pretty much every time I drive past, um, <laughs> as you do. She's my girl. She's a friend yeah, at this yeah. point. Um, <laughs> she, I kind of a couple of times, like it kind of looks like she's just sitting doing a peaceful protest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Writing a shopping list. I don't know. <laughs> well. Addressing a letter. For sure. So in your artwork of a camel in jail, there's a line in your description of it. And honestly, your art is very breathtaking. As someone that is familiar with Mudgee, familiar with history, I really love what you do with the space because it's very like eye-catching and there's no right or wrong type of art, but that's the right type of art for me. I really enjoy it. But the thing that gets me more than anything else is the descriptions that you come up with for your artworks. And one of them with the camel in jail, you end with a, a line on it which says, there was no better place to look for the truth than back in Mudgee. Do you believe that to this day? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a, I mean, often when I'm writing these things, there's a mixture of sarcasm and truth, and I'm never quite sure which one I'm leaning on. I mean, in some ways, and it's a great mythical theme, isn't it? The hero goes in search of truth in far exotic lands, but then it's not till he gets home that he he realises the truth, and that was there all the time. I mean, The Wizard of Oz is a perfect example of that sort of theme. Yeah, and I think so wherever you are, you can find truth in that place. So I suppose for me, because Mudgee is so entirely home, it is the place for me to look for truth. And again, I think that idea that we live in such a global world now, where things are so incredibly complex... 
And you can only have such a surface understanding of anything. The value of really sort of drilling down and looking deeply at where you stand and where you sleep and your home, I think, is really important. Lovely. Looking at the period of time that Louisa was here, there was obviously a lot of things going on in Mudgee. Like it was a town on the rise, still are to this day, let's be real. We're, we're pretty great still. <laughs> but there was also, it was quite difficult for her. And I spoke in a previous episode to Alicia Rapley, who has done a lot of research on genealogy and family history in the Mudgee region. And we were talking about how it would have been quite difficult because not only was she running the post office and she had the monotony of the day-to-day, but she was also achieving huge things. But there was also bush rangers in this area and you've painted them in the past. Yeah, yeah. Cranky Sampoo, I think, was my first foray into historical painting, I suppose. Or maybe I'd done a couple of St. Francis before. Yeah, Cranky Sampoo, Australia's most famous, but possibly only Chinese bushranger. I love him to bits. Again, his story is so shrouded in question marks and holes. It's really interesting. I didn't know anything about him until I saw your painting last year of him punching his horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, again, he's not someone that's particularly well-known. I came across him when I was out here as a little kid on a family holiday, and I think we came across something either at the Goldbong Pioneers Museum or at the Old Dubbo Jar. I think I mentioned to you before the fact that his name contained the word poo. As a nine-year-old, there was just nothing funnier. Um, it's very so highbrow. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, my brothers and I, you know, we're all in our 50s now, have continued to talk about Cranky Sampoo ever since, really. But, yeah, when I moved out to Mudgee 20-something years ago, <laughs> I immediately sort of started searching for, for more history about Cranky Sampoo. And he has popped up increasingly, you know, like, I mean, the internet's a wonderful thing, but when I first started searching on the internet, you know, 20 years ago, there was nothing on him. Slowly things have sort of found their, their way onto the internet, you know, and even references to old books now that, you know, you just wouldn't have a way of tracking down that he was mentioned in this book or that book but they pop up now on the internet. It's wonderful. But uh, after the, well, during that exhibition, a theatre director and a, a playwright from Sydney wrote to me and they wanted to come up and talk about Cranky Sampoo. So they did. They're working on something. I don't know. We'll keep this on the hush. But it's quite possibly a play about Cranky Sampoo that may come to light. It was funny because so much of what I do with history is, you know, about making stuff up. Um, you know, some of it's based in truth or a lot of it springs from the truth, but I certainly don't intend to put out anything that's entirely reliable. Well, it's like a good Chico roll. You've got to put some sauce on it, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> these people came up from Sydney to meet with me and, I was sort of fairly busy at the time, and they said, oh, we're going to come up, and I was just, oh, yeah, that'd be lovely sort of thing. And then they got here, and it occurred to me, I thought, oh, no, I've mainly just been making stuff up. I can't talk to these people. 
they said, oh, that's all right. Yeah, no, no. You're the last person that said anything about this guy, so you're the latest source now. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not, <laughs> which I thought was interesting in the sense that that's sort of how history does evolve and yeah. is written. Often it's things that are said that are pertinent or funny or interesting. They get remembered, whether they're true or not is less important as to whether it becomes history. Yeah, I think, I guess in the the scope of remembering someone's name, is that the more important thing in history or is it what they did? I don't know. I mean, history, we all put history to so many different purposes. And I think it's got so many lovely applications. There's just the sheer enjoyment and the curiosity and the connecting you to a place or a person or a time. But then there's there are the lessons that we can draw from history or like you were saying, the, the inspiration that great figures can give us. Examples of how to deal with all the sort of struggles that essentially we all deal with. That idea of our shared humanity, that's all lovely about history. But, you know, and then there's the sort of People put it to use to drive an agenda. I most enjoy reflecting on our shared experience and humanity and thinking about how other people who might be very different to me, you know, have dealt with things that might be similar or have dealt with things that are very different in a similar way. Yeah. I think looking through the lens of Louise's story of... Mm looking at the things that I do in a day that I don't think twice about, that yeah. is just something that could be monotonous, boring, something I dread was something that she would have fought for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, and, yeah. And that idea of if we don't pay attention to history, it repeats itself, mm, mm. which is something that we probably should not do. And unfortunately we see it. It's very cyclic, especially in our uh, Anglo-Saxon history. It is very cyclic. So it does, things do seem to pop up over and over again, which is a bit of a shame because we don't seem to be learning our lesson. But I guess through finding out through Louisa, I find hearing about her life and the people that lived in Mudgee make me a lot more grateful for what we have right here and now. Oh, so much. And I think that that is so much the lesson of history often is is one of gratitude, isn't it? Because you you look at, you know, any (laughs) period of history in comparison to our our modern lives, uh, there's a lot of things that that we simply don't have to (laughs) deal with anymore. Yes. That, you know, we can be incredibly grateful for. And history is so much the story of, of some people getting a much rougher deal than others, some people oppressing others. Our modern world, there's so much progress towards us treating each other, you know, with a little more kindness and respect too. And I I think that's the lovely thing about being able to reflect upon history and and seeing that maybe we're getting a bit better at looking after each other. Do you think Adolphus Taylor would have a favourite pub in Bungie at the moment? I think he'd go to all of them and and get locked out of all of them. He didn't discriminate. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. Although I, I, you know, I won't badmouth any of the pubs. And I apparently this is is a legal thing. But I I went to one the other night and was served beer in a plastic cup. I don't think he'd approve of that at all. <laughs> 
I think that started because of Newcastle. I'm sorry. That's where I'm from. <laughs> we can't be trusted with glasses. Um, sorry to everybody else. And I guess looking at Louise's history is a lot of hers is written through her poetry, through the dawn, and you're writing your own version of history, uh, whether it's come from your head or the history books, through your painting. Has that given you a whole other outlet in your love for history? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and then say, like, the, the recent exhibition, the Adolphus Taylor, to just spend your whole, a large part of a day or a month or, you know, several months sort of looking at the world through a particular lens of a person or a period is just, it's so much fun. <laughs> Can I get you to tell the story of Adolphus when he went to England? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so this is another thing that Adolphus and... um Louisa Lawson had in common too. They both hated Edmund Barton. Edmund Barton, you know, early on had vehemently opposed women getting the vote and he was sort of dragged around to it, kicking and screaming to support the bill in the end for women's suffrage. But quite anti the right to vote for women. But Adolphus had so many run-ins with Edmund Barton too, in Parliament, he, Adolphus was known for getting sort of drunk and abusive. And Edmund Barton was the Speaker of the House at the time, and he could throw people out of Parliament. So there's a couple of occasions where Adolphus was suspended for a week, and then he came back once and was suspended the very next day for a week by Edmund Barton. And the claim was that he'd been drunk and abusive, and Adolphus objected to that because he claimed that he was only abusive and not drunk on this occasion. And he actually presented Edmund Barton with a list of 35 other politicians who were drinking with him who could <laughs> swear by the fact that he wasn't drunk at the time. <laughs> um, so anyway, Adolphus ended up taking Edmund Barton to court for slander or libel or whatever or wrongful ejection from Parliament and he won the case. He was awarded a £1,000 but then Edmund Barton appealed the case and at the time if a case was appealed it had to be heard overseas back in England at the Privy Council. So in order to get his £1,000 from Edmund Barton, Adolphus Taylor sold his stamp collection a lot of that I assume he bought from uh, Louisa, and lectured around the, you know, New South Wales on the iron hand of politics and raised up all this money in the speaking tour and then sailed to England with his wife, his mother, a magpie, a cockatoo and a parrot of some sort, I don't know. He represented himself at the Privy Council, which, you know, would have had the greatest lawyer's of the time, and Adolphus had wanted to study law, but he'd been too poor. Anyway, and he won the case in sort of record time, they say, you know, within an hour sort of thing, the whole thing was sorted, and he got back on the boat and came back home to Australia, only to realise that the $1,000 wasn't going to come out of Edmund Barton's pocket, but out of the New South Wales Parliament, and because he, he really wanted the money out of spite as much as anything, I think. He refused to accept the £1,000. I really love the idea of going to those lengths for spite. <laughs> just to prove a point. Just to prove he was right. And it's also just another parallel between him and Louisa because she took the, the post to court and 
was disappointed with the result of that as well. She did win, but they never paid up. Over the mailbag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and actually Adolphus Taylor, here's another connection I hadn't even considered till right now. Adolphus Taylor, I don't know if it was at that time, but at one stage was the New South Wales Register of Patents or whatever. So he, he was oh. in charge of all the patents in New South Wales just after he'd left Parliament. So, yeah, look, he right. had a role to play in that, I don't know. Yeah, because she did patent that, so that's how mm. she was able to win. So, mm. yeah, right. Okay. That's worth looking into. <laughs> it really is. I've got another <laughs> rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> I guess I have one more question. Yeah. When you look at everything Louisa has achieved and knowing that she walked the same streets as you do, is there something that she has done that has inspired you that you will take on into life in the future? I think the balance between initiative and patience is what she sums up so well. Yeah, and they're two things that you have to get in balance, I think. So you can be trying to force things to happen a lot and lack the patience to know that things are going to take an incredibly long time and you're going to be frustrated in so many ways. Or sometimes you can just be sort of too patient, can't you, and, and not make things happen. So I think that's what I find you know, most inspirational about Louisa Lawson. Something Michael said when I asked him about whether Mudgee is the place to find truth. He said, wherever you are, you can find truth. And I really agree with that. Whatever that truth might be, it might just be what's true to you. Being true to yourself. It's a really nice lesson that Michael has definitely taught me. Last year, I went on a walking tour to see the hidden meaning of Mudgee. And it was a lesson in if you stare at something long enough, something will appear. Wherever you are, it will reveal itself. And I decided that I wanted to just have a go at doing art. Art, poetry, singing, dancing. These are things that in our capitalist society, we've been told that you have to be good at. You actually don't. These are things for the soul. They're actually things that make your soul feel good. That's why they were invented. In fact, they weren't invented. People just started to express themselves through all these different means. After I went with a troop of people and Michael Burke around Mudgee, I was inspired by this person by this perspective, by this outlook. And I thought, all we can do is try. What's the worst that's going to happen? I entered an art competition as a joke because I don't really believe in my abilities. But then I won one of the categories (laughs) and it's the biggest backfire of a prank in my life. But sometimes you just have to have the determination and the conviction to get something done. I tried. I succeeded despite not thinking that I would. And I feel like that's a real lesson from Louisa. She tried so many things. She didn't always succeed. She certainly did struggle at most parts of her time on this earth, whether it was tending to the farm in Yurundari, whether it was raising her children, running the dawn, even in retirement, things were really tough for Louisa. She kept trying. She kept believing in her ability and throwing caution to the wind. Adolphus Taylor believed in his ability. He believed he was right when he took Edmund Barton to the Privy Council. And he was. Now, the sad news is 
Michael's exhibition at Rosby Gallery has actually ended. But the good news is, if you head to Art by Michael Burke on the web and even follow the link in the show notes, you can see some of his amazing work, including the brief history of Mudgee, which I did refer to a couple of times. In that, Michael does an awesome painting. As I said, it's my all-time favourite of Louisa Lawson's Wasted Afternoon. But in the video, you get to hear from another Mudgee legend, the male model from Mudgee, Ken Sutcliffe. It's a good time. Ken narrates Michael's perspective, which has been written firmly with tongue in cheek. In the beginning of my interview with Michael, he mentioned that one of the ways he made Louisa's story accessible to the kids that he was teaching was by mentioning clothes. I really wanted to come back to that point. Louisa did fight for the right for women to wear pants, which ironically was something that I was still fighting for when I was in high school because we were being forced to wear skirts all the time. And the idea of wearing stockings in winter, yeah, put that idea in the bin. That's still an issue to this day. Girls are still being forced to wear skirts to school and even in some religious groups, it is forbidden for women to wear pants. I am going to go further into her fight for women's fashion on a later episode, but I did want to draw attention to that one. I wasn't really expecting all the similarities between Louisa and Adolphus, but I am comforted by the idea of her at least having a familiar face at Callan Park when she was under mental health care, especially someone that she could let out some of that feminist rage with. On the cover of the podcast today, we've used a special image. It's from the Mudgy Camel exhibition of Adolphus Taylor from Michael Burke, and I really appreciate him letting me use the image. It's the last image of the exhibition. On Michael's Facebook page, he put a caption up on the image that said, we're not inventing female suffrage or mailbags. Louisa Lawson used to love riding about on camels. Here she is with Adolphus Taylor enjoying an afternoon stroll about the grounds of Callan Park Hospital for the insane. Good times. It's hard to imagine what life would have been like for her in those last couple of years at Callan Park Hospital. I hope she had a familiar face. If you'd like to see some of Michael's art, you can find that on Facebook, Art by Michael Burke. You can also head to his website, artbymichaelburke.com. And if you'd like to see the narration by Ken Sutcliffe of A Brief History of Mudgee, that is also on Michael's website. When I set out to do a podcast on Louisa Lawson, I just wanted to tell her story. I just wanted to have that aha moment I had 18 months ago happen for other people. Now that I'm having more conversations around Louisa Lawson and essentially becoming a Jehovah's Witness for Louisa Lawson, I actually think I'm probably going to start door knocking very soon. So watch out. I'm realizing how important it is for each and every one of us to tell our stories. Louisa knew it with the dawn. She knew it with her poetry. Next week, we're going to dive into more of the causes that Louisa fought for. But if you'd like to tell your story, your journey with Louisa, you can email me, Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Jedika on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, join me next week for more More Than a Mother. Until then, see you, love you, bye. <laughs>